Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I am your host, Keith Koo. Today, I'm joined by Global Chief Information Officer of ACI Specialty Benefits, Ryan Fay. In this week's tech news, Equifax, a story that was big late last year, um, just got back again. It appears that it's a rounding error, but they missed about 3 million data records that were lost. So instead of 143 million, it's 146.6 million. And additional with this filing that they had to do with the SEC, they gave a lot more details about what was actually stolen. So also with this was not so much a rounding error. Instead of 10 million driver's licenses stolen, there was 17.6 million. And there's actually included a table of the actual images that were stolen. So I think at this point, because it was originally 143 million versus a, now it's 146 million, people are just kind of numb to the staggering amount of data breach. But it's still a big deal. Other big news, Walmart confirmed that it bought Flipkart, which is a very large Indian version e-commerce giant of Amazon or Alibaba. And this is just more evidence of the globalization that's occurring and the consolidation of the tech industry. Uh, this is really Walmart's attempt to tackle Amazon head on. And this was considered quite a coup for Walmart. Facebook just announced that they're going to start their own blockchain team. And we had on previous shows talked about Telegram, an encrypted messaging service. We've talked about other types of use cases and how Facebook actually represents what's now termed as a centralized company versus decentralized companies in the blockchain world. So Facebook's really trying to tackle, from a strategic perspective, the whole concept of decentralization and blockchain. Twitter had two announcements. One, they're also going to do an encrypted messenger service. So again, what does that mean to the value of Telegram, which is the decentralized messenger app of choice that I talked about on my last week's show? It also announced that they too believe that they have a vulnerability in their passwords. So if you have a Twitter account, you should reset your password. And lastly, a company called Niantic, which you probably don't remember, but Niantic is a spinoff of Google and is the parent company of Pokemon Go. They're building a new application that's based on Harry Potter. But more interesting than just the Harry Potter app, they're actually soliciting users because they're doing an augmented reality map or a 3D map. So think about all the things that happened with Pokemon Go. The reality was is people giving for free um, a mapping service and you were the product. And now they want to do a 3D mapping service, augmented reality service. So uh, next week for Cyber Tip of the Week, I will be talking about how, again, to keep your settings safe if you're using an application like Pokemon Go. And that's the news of the week. So Ryan, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So your background uh, is pretty extensive in a relatively short amount of time. Um, your company, ACI Specialty Benefits, I think you said that there's now uh, something like 3,000 employees and half of them are in IT? Yeah, we've grown pretty rapidly through M&A. So we've been lucky enough to slowly transition into a technology company. So we've been growing and really growing our technology teams rapidly. 
Right. And um, yeah, I, I came from M&A at a couple of companies and I know what that takes. I mean, uh, you've been at ACI eight years and you've kind of done it all leading up to all these acquisitions and now really uh, just driving the technology platform for the company. So tell me a little bit what, what your journey was like. Yeah. So starting out there, you know, it was interesting because the company was really solutions based around paper. You know, we were giving out traditional EAP benefits and like anything else, when you're doing that, you're literally going client to client and having meetings and telling them about their actual benefits they're receiving. And we quickly realized that that wasn't scalable, pragmatic, or really feasible for what we were trying to accomplish worldwide. So we created one of the world's first software as a service, Global Benefits Platforms, launched that. And we essentially were able to scale this out to all of our users worldwide. And we did this using multiple technologies, both public, private cloud. And then we started using some blockchain technologies as well to actually scale us out internationally. Yeah, that's great. And, and why I'm so thankful that you're able to join us today. I think in our show, we've been on for a while now. And, you know, We're getting known for being a show that features lots of innovation, especially around emerging technologies, blockchain, artificial intelligence, machine learning. Um, your company in the last eight years has kind of grown up having to adopt these technologies very fast. And I think the the message here is that uh, it's great to have emerging technologies and have companies that offer these solutions, but you really need that use case. And so that's what I really wanted to dive in today with you is how does a company on this really steep growth trajectory plan out and evaluate these technologies for actual practical uses? Yeah, I mean, at first, we really actually didn't want to use any type of decentralized ledger technology because it's pretty difficult to develop with, you know, when you're starting off from scratch. Nowadays, you know, fast forward five years, much easier now with, with companies out there. Um, but, you know, five, six years ago, it's pretty difficult to actually, you know, create something like this from the ground up. So we thought long and hard about what we we're actually trying to accomplish. And the use case that we were actually trying to develop, it really played um, well with this kind of technology. So part of that was actually just going through and looking at all the options. And I think most folks, they want to try to fit blockchain into a square circle. They're trying to shove in a, you know, uh, a square. So for us, it was something that was kind of a last resort for us to do. But I'm glad we actually went that route because it's paid off a lot of dividends now. And it's really required my team to really think about each step of the process along the way to ensure we're not only scaling pragmatically, but also that we're scaling in a way that makes sense with new laws and regulations coming out like GDPR and things of that nature as well. Yeah, that's a lot of what's going on in this industry uh, or industries that is there, everyone seems to be rushing to adopt blockchain. We had talked about before the show how uh, even in December of 2017, about half of the Fortune 500s, 250 companies, all said that they were working on blockchain projects. And now I think the latest update you had was that it's closer to 90%. Yeah. So I was actually looking at this morning. It looks like 90% are in a proof of concept looking at blockchain technologies, which is a huge increase. And I think it just goes to show that part of it's, I think, the buzz around the technology of what they're wanting to say that they're using blockchain technology, unfortunately. Um, but there are some really great use cases, I think, that a lot of these companies are probably seeing and gaining from that as well. I'm glad you bring that up about companies saying that it, it, oftentimes in technology, it's a, it's a me too, right? We, we talk a lot about um, early adopters and fast followers. And, and I'll admit, I'm a fast follower. I'm never the guy that's going to buy the first iPhone release. I'm going to wait and see what happens as everybody else becomes the you know, free beta testers, so to speak. But but then you get to the, the serious uses of emerging technologies like blockchain and then people who just say they wanted to do something with it. 
And I think that's the interesting thing is that as you and I are talking, blockchain has settled down from a crypto or ICO discussion and now more into an enterprise use case. How are companies really looking at internally um, whether to, to, to pick a blockchain project? Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, a couple of, of aspects, you know, either multi-ledger, single network, real-time atomic, you know, payments and how you're doing clearing of settlements. So a lot of this depends on what your business you are. If you're obviously in a MIPS and MAP business you're doing back in the day with like IBM doing a lot of transactional payments, I think it makes a lot of sense. If you're not doing that, there may be an actual non-distributed ledger, just a regular database that would be able to accomplish the same kind of technology for you without having to have the nuances of learning blockchain technology. On the same you know, side of that though, companies like Ethereum and you know Microsoft um, and IBM have came out with solutions that actually make it easier. And AWS just launched some of their platform as well too um, recently to make that kind of transaction easier as well. So I think if you are experimenting that, it's easier now to do a proof of concept to see if there is real business value from that. Well, thanks again for the intro, the topic for today. Um, it's again great to have Ryan Fay, CIO of ACI Specialty Benefits in the studio. Uh, Ryan leads an organization that has transformed into a digital presence, and they are using blockchain in the real world. Um, just a reminder related to this topic is that a couple of weeks back, we talked about Tulip Conference, June 6th and 7th, and that's going to be in San Francisco. And if you're an enterprise trying to figure out how to adopt blockchain, this is the conference for you. And you can find out more at info at svin.biz. I'll be right back with Ryan Fay. For questions or comments on today's program, call one 888 828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. Today, I'm joined by Global CIO of ACI Specialty Benefits, Ryan Fay. So for today's email of the week, and it's always very timely, um, there's a question around the differences between blockchain. And why I say that is that sometimes we've talked about public blockchain like Ethereum. Sometimes we've talked about private blockchains that internal companies are doing. And there's also this definition around consortium. And so Ryan, I know you're an expert in the space. Can you give a definition of what consortium blockchains are? Yeah, my definition of consortium blockchain would just be literally combining the best of all technologies and different groups to be able to deliver a seamless integration product. They don't have to worry about you know, manually integrating these offerings. And what would be a use case for that? I think most of it would be around creating something that is an, an app that you're looking to do um, or use that you really don't want to have to use multiple generations of, you know, legacy financial applications any longer. And you want to maybe interoperate between different, you know, agencies without, you know, leveraging multiple risk or any, any costs that are growing around there. So having someone that's already created a global ecosystem for you of multiple companies, you know, it's normally easier for regulatory and also scalability to make sure you're scaling this out in a pragmatic fashion. Exactly. So when we talk about public blockchains, totally decentralized, open public ledger, that's great for a lot of use cases and a lot of adopters in that. But I think when you talk about traditional industries such as banking or insurance who are not yet ready to dive into fully open chains, this concept of a consortium where you still don't have a single entity fully in control, but you have multiple entities that are, in essence, forming a more centralized um, group, but still with the ability to have mitigating controls on each other. It's a good potential for a hybrid solution. So thanks again, Ryan. Absolutely. 
So today we've been joined by Ryan Fay, who leads a global organization for ACI Specialty Brands as their chief information officer. And again, Ryan, thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. So Ryan's here because we talk a lot on the show about innovative technologies, emerging technologies, and I think sometimes people don't necessarily know whether it's actually being utilized or if it can be utilized. And I think there's also a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt. So Ryan, um, in his organization, growing up with a traditional paper-based company into a SaaS-based or software-as-a-service-based company, he's learned a lot in the last eight years. And so Ryan has seen what it takes to actually adopt these technologies and move forward with it. So Ryan, um, we were just talking in the last segment about some of the use cases. Your company actually decided to use blockchain in production, so to speak. Let's go back and talk about how you got to that decision-making and how you're actually using it in production now. Yeah, absolutely. So we're actually using blockchain in about five different segments of our business. But to streamline this, I'll start kind of high level. We were looking for ways to better understand and better, you know, verify identity and safety and trustworthiness of what was happening in real time. So we're looking for different ways to connect devices across different blockchains to ensure that whoever was connecting to our platform was actually who they said that they were. And we can track those sessions based on long-term engagements over multiple uh, ledgers. So uh, we were looking to do a databases at first and scaling a global business. It's difficult to have multiple datas, databases working in real time to actually have distributed environments. So we're collecting petabytes of data per per week of wearable device, you know. Um, and we were kind of in an IoT paradigm where we were collecting so much data that we weren't really using much of it. And we wanted to categorize it in a way that made it easier for us to communicate at higher level between different devices. So what we did is we started taking that data and putting it into different blockchain-related projects to see what data was actually being utilized and how we were actually utilizing it. And we could see the last time it was accessed, how it was accessed, who was accessed by, and how frequently we were actually accessing it. So by doing that, it actually helped us to, one, understand the data we had coming in and the use cases for actually streamlining this data and where we should be storing it. So that's kind of the first use case. The next was by having you know an in-house prior blockchain that we created network. Um, we were able to see better for around product authenticity and also uh, supply chain reduction. So part of this is that we were buying a lot of products and we were buying a lot of hardware and we were shipping this worldwide. And a lot of times you want to be able to see what's happening um, for these products. Okay. So you would, I want to go back to a couple of things because I think uh, as you're really talking about adopting the technology, for your blockchain, was it permissioned or was it public? So we actually have permission blockchain. And, you know, back then when we first launched this, there really wasn't a public blockchain that was available for us. Um, you know, Bitcoin was solely available, uppercase Bitcoin. And, uh, you know, we were looking at that back in 2009, 2010. Back then it was still newer, you know, looking at eCash before that. Um, there was some fundamental distributed ledger technology before that even as well. But we were looking for something that was tried and true. And we didn't feel that confident in the technology at that point in time in 2009, because it's only been around, I think I read the white paper in 2008. So I think, you know, and following a lot of the, you know, forms that, you know, whoever Stockton Nashimoto was or is, you know, that they were posting on, they didn't seem to have a full understanding of the history of decentralized ledger technology and how it could be used. So we weren't fully confident of rolling out to a public blockchain at that point in time. Okay. In terms of 
also at the time was uh, transactions per second a limitation? Or not? It was, yeah. Okay. So we're, we're looking at having larger transactions per second. You know, at that time we were utilizing multiple services from Visa and PayPal to be able to have a lot of transactions real time, and even that was costing us too much due to the fees we were, you know, um, essentially incurring through there. So. Um, a lot of people or a lot of folks will say that blockchain is more expensive, but if it's actually uh, built correctly and developed in a right manner, you can actually save quite a bit of money on transaction fees. Yeah, no, I think that's actually one of the best use cases for what uh, blockchain is today. Uh, we've talked about many times how we're really in this kind of first inning around blockchain technology. And as much as people are talking about the future and the future looks great, um, it doesn't make sense to adopt blockchain just for the sake of doing it. And we talked about that in our first segment. I think um, in terms of being able to greatly reduce transaction fees, that is an extremely good use case. And we had a company a few weeks back called Crowds.io who actually reduces uh, ACH and EDI payments on Ethereum. And they do it solely for that reason. They do it really well. So that for your company, um, what were the savings achieved? Yes, we were able to save initially about 25%, which we thought was a lot, you know, and that was off initially rolling that out ourselves. That's including all the costs of actually creating the blockchain. That's a TCO cost. Um, now that we have everything created internally, we're looking at about roughly a 75 to 90% savings based on the use case. And, and back to that point, how does a company go about back in 2009, 10 timeframe of getting people to create a blockchain for them? Yeah, it was difficult. I mean, we were essentially hiring people that didn't understand the use case for what it was because there wasn't many use cases back then. And we were explaining, you know, what we're looking to accomplish with this technology. And some of the folks we hired said, there's no way this is going to work, you know, um, and, and it has worked really well for us. And I think there's different levels of, you know, areas to consider, you know, first is speed, scalability, security, and privacy of what you're trying to create. The next one is, as you said, do you want to use private permission or public blockchains? And then how are you going to employ this kind of enterprise grade blockchain platform? And do you want to join a consortium after that? And how do you want to then take that blockchain that you're developing and scale it out so that way you can future-proof it as well? Yeah. So again, thanks to pioneers like you in the early adoption of enterprise use cases, uh, permissioned or public, I think it takes people uh, like you to actually go forge the way. And sometimes you succeed and sometimes you don't, but it's good that you, you got your, your foot feet wet, so to speak, and that you're now actually um, being sought out after to help other organizations. Yeah, it's been great. So why don't we do this? Let's talk about how we're, how you are helping out other organizations when we get back. Again, you're listening to Keith Koo, and I'm joined today with Ryan Fay, CIO of ACI Specialty Benefits, and how his journey from being at a paper-based company into a SaaS company and now leading the charge of helping others learn about blockchain in the enterprise. And a few other things. Uh, reminder is Tulip Conference 2018 in San Francisco, June 6th through the 13th. Find out more information by emailing us at info at svn.biz. I'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo, and I've been joined today by Chief Information Officer of ACI Specialty Benefits, Ryan Fay. So this week's tip is really around GDPR, which again is this European Union regulation 
that's going into enforcement on May 25th of this year. And I think there's been a lot of hype, a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt, especially after the Cambridge Analytica fiasco with Facebook. And so just to make it clear, this is a regulation. It's all-encompassing. It has to do with European Union citizens and their data privacy. There are features like the right to be forgotten, which means that if somebody asks to have their data deleted, it gets deleted. And Facebook reacted uh, recently by basically moving 1.5 billion of its users off of its Ireland data center back to the U.S. But even with all that FUD, there is ways for companies to really be practical in terms of how they address GDPR. And the best way is to think about it in terms of how do you use your customer's data. So if you are a business in the United States and you're domiciled, you have an office in the EU, if you're dealing with European Union citizens, or you're being paid by a European Union currency, you're almost definitely subject to the regulation. The gray area is more if you're a US-based company and you've got European Union citizens who are clicking on Google AdWords, you're not dealing in the currency of that country or a European Union country, then you're probably you're probably okay in terms of meeting all the regulations. Now, again, we're not giving legal advice. It's just something to think about. But the, the best way to think about everything in this example is that the U.S. will soon have a similar regulation. So it's better to just be prepared. And that's the tip of the week. So again, today we're joined by Ryan Fay, CIO of ACI Specialty Benefits. Hi, Ryan. Hey, Keith. How are you doing? So it's been great having you today. We were talking about how enterprises actually consider using all these advanced technologies like blockchain and how you've been doing it um, since the very early days of when Bitcoin was just being known. So we had covered how at a time where blockchain was completely new, you had to go out and find the resources. And now in that regard, um, as is often the case, in what I call the Wild West of technology, which is blockchain, Bitcoin, Ethereum, EOS. People come seek out your help. People ask me for my help. So what are some of the practical thoughts that you can give just as a citizen on how people should be adopting the technology? Absolutely. I think the first you know, question I always ask everybody is, why do you want to use blockchain? And the answer is because we want to be able to launch an ICO. We want to be able to have a buzzword. We want to be able to change our name to something like blockchain. Then the answer is probably you don't need blockchain. Um, a lot of it has to do with different levels of you need speed, scalability, security, privacy. And of that, do you want to use, you know, a private permission blockchain or public blockchain? And of there, are you trying to, you know, employ some kind of enterprise grade black, you know, blockchain platform? Or are you trying to have some kind of um, consortium that you're trying to join as well too to, you know, deliver a product long term and deliver some kind of service that you wouldn't be able to do otherwise? So if that's the case and there's a use case, then, you know, I think that's absolutely conversation. And I can talk into some of the trade-offs of, you know, both a private and, um, you know, public blockchain. Thank you. And I think we should get into that. I mean, I, I want the listener to really understand this is not like Coke versus Pepsi. Right. <laughs> Yeah, there, there's not that shade of nuance. These are very different. Even the way there's over 100 public blockchains in existence right now, and not all of them are going to succeed. But not all of them are pump and dump ICO scams either. These are legitimate projects that people are working on. And I often use the case that these are like parallel universes. 
So now we're adding another feature, which you've just talked about, because people often don't understand between permissioned or public. And you were saying that there are some trade-offs. So let's go through some of those use cases. Yeah, absolutely. So most of the companies that I speak with, you know, from a high level, they say initially they want to go with a private blockchain network, you know. And the reason for that is, you know, they have permission and they want to figure out, you know, is, is it going to be public access, private access? And then from there, you know, obviously private networks help to alleviate some of the concerns around data and, you know, transaction privacy. But with that, there's a lot of trade-offs. And, and some of that is, you know, you have to have a greater level of trust among participants internally if you're going to go with some kind of private blockchain. In addition, you know, the consensus algorithms that are used are going to be typically weaker and the ability to prevent, you know, malicious or fraudulent network, you know, transactions um, are probably going to be, you know, not as great as some of the major public blockchains that are typically using Byzantine fault tolerance, uh, which means essentially that you have 33% untrustworthy participants in network, then you have a better defense to be able to protect yourself against that. So I think in exchange for security against malicious and fraudulent actions, you know, private networks grant speed and privacy. So if that's your main concerns. That's a great option. Um, if you're looking for something that's going to be able to give you um, better trust between two parties, then I think that, you know, some kind of public blockchain is probably going to be a better option based on uh, the enterprise use case. And, and again, it can go back and forth. You know, there's companies that have implemented, you know, blockchain as a service type of products like Microsoft Azure and, you know, for Hyperledger and Chain Core. So all these are providing examples of some of the companies that have created and joined a consortium to be able to give um, users easier ability to essentially not to go through the whole entire R&D uh, ecosystem process, which can take up to 24 months, depending on you know when you how, how savvy your team is. Thanks, Ryan. I think you just explained exactly uh, the problems and the benefits of blockchain. Um, there are benefits to it, but with that amount of things that you need to consider, and there's so few actual experts right now, and even the experts really lock down into several pillars. So there are experts around permission, experts around public, and experts around each individual chain. How do enterprises who haven't been riding this wave or understanding the last few years, how do they get started today? I mean, we, we talked about from 250 of the Fortune 500 to 90%, so they're doing something. How do they really go about articulating this for themselves? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think a lot of it's going to be around, you know, proof of concepts. So it's finding a team that you trust to come in and be able to help you deliver a use case to, a, you know, to a problem that's hopefully a solution. I think often the problem that I see is that, you know, blockchain really doesn't need to be used. You can use a regular database to be able to solve probably 99% of the use cases that I'm hearing blockchain needs to be used for. So I think part of it's educating the you know, enterprise on what blockchain is used for, how it's used, why it's used. The other part is then if it is a possible solution to that use case, then talking about here's some of the pros and cons to using it. Here's what it takes. And here's what you can expect to, you know, the roadmap to actually deliver that product. Thanks. Yeah. And again, we've said it a few times already today is that unless you're just trying to, in an enterprise, so not an ICO or a crypto or somebody who just wants to create their own token, so to speak, just for the sake of doing it. But in an enterprise, you want to legitimately look at blockchain and implement it. What are the characteristics involved? Why do you do that? Why do you, what's your thought process decision-making around that? And then how do you go forward? Because also, uh, normally people don't have like a blockchain R&D line item, right? It really is going through the effort of a cost-benefit analysis, saying that by adopting this technology for this much, because you had said you had to self-fund the blockchain R&D for your, for your use case, 
um, and then making that trade-off. It's going to take a really long time. So uh, how are companies really thinking about selling it to their, their boards? Yeah, I, th- I think there's got to be a specific use case that they're looking for. And I think it's got to come down to, you know, what it, if you have other competitors or suppliers or customers that are already using blockchain, you know, and there's a value chain to this, you know, and you can add some kind of value to each, each part of this chain, for lack of better words, and obviously it makes sense to evaluate that. Also, if you have a use case that has to do with, you know, connecting and sharing databases and processes among many parties, that's probably another use case. And then lastly, if there's some kind of value proposition that you could persuade multiple parties to work together to create some new technology, maybe you can, you know, use your supply chain management plus your internal team plus somebody else to then create a mini consortium to then create this technology that you could all benefit from. I think that's the best way to actually deliver it because... Part of you doing it for your own use case is that use cases often change very rapidly. And there's now blockchains as a solution that have come along, you know, and will probably solve most of that for people in the near future. So actually going out and creating your own blockchain from scratch is pretty cumbersome. And I don't know if you're going to see the ROI, you know, return on that. Yeah, and that's a good point. And what I'm really glad to hear you say is um, talking about smart people getting together and driving technology forward. With that, what are some of the most exciting projects that you think or hear about are on the horizon? Yeah, there's a lot of them. I mean, I probably read over 100 white papers per week. <laughs> so for me, there's a lot of cool stuff that's coming out uh, in the blockchain space or decentralized ledger technology space in general. I think the whole insurance space is really cool. You know, the micropayment space to be able to take something that you're using for part of the time use that, tie that to blockchain, then be able to have that integrated back to another system where you can then have everything happening in real time. We don't have to worry about having set prices for each action. I think that's a pretty cool use case. Um, going through the entire you know section of supply chain, I think it's another really cool use case to be able to see where everything's at in real time, understanding it, you know, because anyone that buys as much stuff as I do on Amazon, there's that section of time where you have no idea what's going on with your order. So to be able to see everything in real time, check into databases and be able to understand all the nuances of that is another exciting use case. And then, I mean, I, I could go on probably for forever about some of the other stuff. I mean, there's there's so much excitement in here. Um, unfortunately, some of the type, you know, and you, you'll read stuff that is just not going to be able to be you know, solve with blockchain. Unfortunately, it's not a fix all for everything. Um, but I think identification and identity verification is, an, is another really cool use case, international payments, uh, file storage, entertainment, you know, so those are kind of my top ones. Great. Yeah. And I, I hate at home, um, since I'm very familiar with supply chain as well. Uh, and we had companies on before talking about it. Think about the ability to follow the regulatory compliance of your materials, conflict metals, child labor, Right. I mean, there are things that uh, I think are very exciting for practical industrial use cases of blockchain. So thanks again for listing all those out. So before we get into our last segment, I I just want to again remind everybody that if you're really interested in the topics of today, corporate executives, small business owners, someone who's really thinking about blockchain, uh, come to the Tulip Conference 2018 in San Francisco it's very reasonably priced, and we put it that way because this is a conference meant to educate the public on, one, how to adopt blockchain technology for your enterprise. Two, if you're a developer, how to get started. I think uh, one of the things we've talked about also is that there's very few actual qualified blockchain developers in the world. We're trying to solve for that by, by education. And then three, um, understanding where blockchain is going in the future. There are going to be... Uh, public chains that do really cool stuff around contract law, around um, writing constitutional law, micro lending. 
I mean, there's just so many things that people don't even realize that blockchain is about and will be doing for society in the future. And that's all the stuff that uh, I don't even think corporates have their heads wrapped around. So again, this is Keith Koo, Silicon Valley Insider, joined by Ryan Fay, Chief Information Officer of ACI Specialty Benefits. We'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. Today, I'm joined by Chief Information Officer of ACI Specialty Benefits, Ryan Fay. Ryan, thanks again for being in the studio. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So Ryan and I today have had a really great conversation focused around with all the technologies out there that we hear about, hear about on our show, how are companies actually adopting those technologies? So in the first few segments, we absolutely talked about what you need to consider, public blockchain, private blockchain, consortium blockchains. But now I think uh, what Ryan hit on just at the end of the last segment was What's coming on the horizon? What are the ways that different industries are going to get to this technology and how it's going to improve um, their existence? So, Ryan, let's go through some of those use cases. Yeah, I'm really excited. I think what blockchain is really going to do is it's going to bring the power back to the community. You know, I think a lot of people that are downloading or not paying for entertainment today is because they don't see the value going to the authors or the artists that are seeing it, you know, with a... Stuff right now, Amazon and Spotify keep about 95% of the revenue that's generated by artists. Right. So with blockchain, you can literally pay readers directly, you know, or authors directly, um, or, you know, movie studios directly based on what you're using and how you're using it. So I think that's a really cool use case is just entertainment in general. And listeners can pay musicians directly based on what songs they're downloading and how they're using it, you know. Um, next file is file storage. I think that's a big area right now that a lot of folks trying to understand how they can pay for private cloud storage. Um, that's right now is going directly to providers. So blockchain can actually automate a lot of that process and they can do, um, you know, get rid of the middleman and make cloud storage much more cheap. You know, part of iCloud, as you see, it popping up on your screen every day, you know, is it saying you run out of space, you're out of space and you're paying 15, 20, $30 extra per month to have space. When in reality, you can get rid of these big, you know, charges from companies like Box or Dropbox, and you can charge a flat monthly fee that'll be able to have a decentralized technology stored. Yeah, let, let, files. let's pause there for a second, because I think what letting people understand is content creation, mm-hmm. the ability to, you as the content creator, own the entire life cycle, whether you decide to give it a single use, whether you decide to give it perpetual use, whether or not um, people can live stream, not live stream. I mean, that is a great use case. I think also that people really need to be aware of, and this is really for somebody who today decides they want to be the next blockchain creator, that there's probably over 20 or 30 content creation blockchains already in existence. And um, I'm not endorsing any single one of them, and I don't know which one is actually going to prevail, because back to the parallel universe concept. So I think people should really be focused, as you mentioned earlier, before I decide to buy or build my own blockchain, what blockchain can I adopt? And really, that key, what you said, 95% of the revenue usually goes back to an Amazon or an Apple, an iTunes. The ability to control that money coming back to you, because a really well-built blockchain is usually when most of that revenue, if not all that revenue, gets to go back to the artist, and the only cost is the transportation on the blockchain network. Absolutely. That's what I'm really excited about, is the possibilities that are going to be open, because 
when artists are getting 100% or at least 95% of the actual revenue being generated by their content, I think that's going to open and it's, it's going to incentivize a lot more folks to actually uh, be creative and publish more, you know, content that's going to be, in my opinion, much more um, exciting as well. See, in, in um, following the lines of disruption, I think we really see it Uber, Airbnb, they're totally ripe for being disrupted because you don't need that middle intermediary. Um, we can talk about buying cars, mm-hmm. buying international cars, just like uh, when we had Proppy on it a couple months back talking about being the first use case for real estate title, car registry, car title. I mean, there's just so many different applications that are going to be happening in this space. One area I think also is, um, and you touched on it with file storage. When we had Greg Osurion, who is the uh, founder of Overclock, which is now the Akash Network, they're going to decentralize compute. You as a company theoretically can offer up your unused cycles just as an Amazon or Google does and basically rent out your unused computing. Yeah, I mean, that's exciting to be able to have, you know, encrypted files shared across multiple different, you know, private computers worldwide. And then whatever you're not using, as you said, for your compute, you can, you can rent that out as well, too. So the ability to do that, it makes businesses that are scaling and they're, you know, over-provisioning, you know, have the power to actually get back some of the, you know, funds from doing that. So with the last couple of minutes we have, I think I'll summarize that today's show's been all about with all the technologies out there. Sometimes it sounds like pie in the sky. We have you, Ryan, um, as your role as a chief information officer, seeing a business go from paper to digital, that there are use cases and there are people who can adopt these technologies in an efficient and safe manner for their companies, transforming them. So I think uh, thinking about where you've been and where you've gotten to, what's next? Yeah, I think what's next is just scaling this out to more industries you know when you have more industries using a technology like this to save you know order magnitude five or six times on the cost that they're having today um and especially with companies like aws microsoft and ibm launching some really great public chains i think it's going to be great for organizations to be able to jump on and you know be able to essentially be a weakened warrior of this technology you know you don't have to be ingrained in the technology you don't have to know the technology that well but you can benefit from the technology similar to what happened with cloud technology so you you can start to you know see intermedical changes and also be able to scale that out across your organization which i'm really excited for so i think what what next is really just the next version of what we're doing today and doing it at a much faster greater more secure level well thanks ryan and i know you're on twitter very active what's your twitter handle my twitter handle is at ryan cfay All right. Well, thanks again, Ryan, for being here today. I'm Keith Koo. You can reach me on LinkedIn at Keith Koo or Facebook at Keith Koo, or you can email me at info at svi.biz. We'll be back next week. Thank you. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846, 888-828-SVIN.